when I was struggling with depression, I just thought I was a lazy and built person. And that isn't the case. Actually, I just felt so low. I had so many negative thoughts. I was tired that that acted as a barrier towards me doing anything. I wasn't a lazy person. I was just tired and over bogged down with my mental health. Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Katia Bell, the self-help coach. Katia is an NHS psychological well-being practitioner and mental health coach. To connect with Katia, follow her on Instagram at the self-help coach. Katia, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? I'm okay. It's been busy, busy week, but I've, I'm so excited to be on the show and doing this episode. So, it's brightened up my day, definitely. I'm very excited. Oh, thank you. It's definitely brightened up my day too. I am extremely excited. And what I love so much about you is that your mission is to offer insight into what you can do while you're waiting for treatment, which is so incredibly important. These extended wait times to get an appointment, the cost of therapy, it's so hard, but there is always a starting point. And I love that you're so dedicated to making that starting point accessible. So would you mind jumping right in and telling me a little bit more about your work as a self-help coach? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So just to echo what you've kind of said there, as a psychological well-being practitioner, I'm the person that you would see at the end of that waiting list. So I work in treatment and therapy. And a lot of the times people might come to me, either they've gone past the point of needing treatment or they've gotten a lot worse. I myself struggled with mental health problems as well, which is one of the main reasons I've went into what I'm doing now. And it was, I think, nine months before I even got treatment. And it's it's a lot. And over here, it's free to access, which is brilliant. But not everybody has that luxury. And because of the wait times, more people are going on medication, which if people need it, that's fine. But if they got treatment quick, more quickly... I'm not sure as many people would be on the medication, which again, there's no judgment around it. It works for some people, but it's something that could be avoided if you were able to access that support immediately, maybe. So it became an idea of mine when I became a therapist and reflected on how much I do with clients that they could actually do themselves And it's important to recognize that self-help will never replace treatment. You know, it is something that you do need. It's really helpful, but you can make the steps up the ladder while you're waiting and soften, take the edge off things and start learning before you've even started that appointment. There are things that you can do by yourself and learn by yourself. So that's what I think the beauty of self-help is, because if you think about an iceberg, okay, that's your well-being at the top of the iceberg is your symptoms that you can manage and below the iceberg is things that therapy would treat let's say at least you could make a start at the top of the iceberg before working your way down into the bottom when you get to therapy because they always start at the top of the iceberg anyway when you get to therapy it's just getting down to the bottom so if you can do that yourself your well-being is going to get better when you actually get to therapy. It's going to be a lot easier for you. 
So my page is all about educating people on what those things are that they can do. What are the things around anxiety and depression, psychoeducation, and just some simple techniques that can really help to take the edge off. I, first of all, that analogy was amazing. Can we just <laughs> <Thanks. say> that? <laughs> that analogy was so powerful and easy to connect and see. I think a lot of times when it comes to mental health, we use a lot of complex words and a lot of scientific words yeah. that people don't understand. And putting it into a form that explains, it's like an iceberg. And at that tip is where you start and you can start there. A lot of people feel like they can't start on their own. Like if they can't get therapy, then they can't get help. If they can't get medication, they can't get treatment. That's it. And you have this cycle of high suicide rates, but a lot of it could be prevented if we're providing that education and tools and resources. So thank you so much for being that person. Thank you. Thank you. And you're absolutely right. It's so important. And when you're in that place and you are feeling low, you have a defeatist attitude anyway, because you're in a low place. So your negative thoughts are going to be telling you, oh, there's nothing I can do. There's no way out of this. And sometimes you do just need that reminder to say, hey, actually, you can just take this tiny step. You don't need to climb the whole staircase, but here's some tiny steps that you can do. Once you start taking those steps, it becomes a lot easier and the clouds can start to thin a little bit before you get to therapy and you can move them away properly. Exactly. And then there's also this stigma where people think that they don't deserve help until they have a gun to their head, until they have the pills in their hand, until they're at that very last resort spot where they can reach out for help but you deserve help before that and if you get to that point before you reach out for help and there's this nine month long waiting list what do you do without this idea of self-care and self-help and taking care of yourself exactly stuck exactly it should be in my opinion taught in schools it should be part of the curriculum because The most important relationship you can have with yourself is your well-being, taking care of your well-being. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? The floor's going to come from underneath you. And like you say, if if you're at a point where you're already suicidal and that's the point you realise you need help and then you've got a long, long waiting list, then you're playing Russian roulette with your life there, you know, and that's a really scary thing. So it's important to recognise that you don't need to wait until that point. If you're noticing signs and symptoms of anxiety or or depression, it doesn't mean that you're crazy. It doesn't mean that, you know, you even need, sometimes even need therapy. If you notice that those signs are starting to come up, there's no no shame in saying, I'm actually going to start to do some self-care. I'm going to start looking at my thoughts and working with them doesn't need to be at the point of absolute breakdown before you start to implement these things they're preventative and they should be done if you're well or not really because that's what keeps you well first of all I 100% agree that that this should be taught in schools but I love that you said preventative because mental health should be preventative we are so reactive as a whole, when it comes to mental health, we wait till people are struggling. 
we wait till they have not just a symptom of depression or anxiety, but until we can diagnose them to give them treatment, to give them resources. We wait till someone is hospitalized in a psych ward after a suicide attempt to give them any resources and tools. Again, we wait till that last moment. We are so reactive. And if we took a preventative approach, it would be so much better. Definitely, definitely. And there's so much education and and stigma that needs to be broken down because I think that's half the problem. We have been, you know, sensitized to think of mental health as this really weird and scary thing. And it's not, it it happens to the, the best of us. And you know one in four people it happens to so that's that's quite a lot that's you know at least one of your friends or definitely so I think the more we can talk about this and normalize it and really get that awareness out there the better because research shows that if people have support when they're going through mental health difficulties it's easier to come out the other end and let's say you have that whole support network around you but you're so scared what they're going to think of you that you don't access or use it. It can just act as a barrier. So that stigma quite literally, it's not just, Oh, I'm, I'm don't like that. Somebody might think this, it, it could quite literally stump your recovery. So it's so important to talk about it and feel comfortable around those people. And that's why it's important to really raise that awareness and make it normal, you know, like self-help and, making sure people have that psychoeducation to know that it's not something that's necessarily it's hard to say because sometimes it it can be really really serious it can be but it doesn't mean that you deserve to be locked away and you're a crazy person that's not what we're getting at and it's the more you talk about it the less people will see it as that I could not have said any of that better myself It is so incredibly important that we end this stigma. Did you know that patients hospitalized in a psych ward are 100 to 200 times more likely to die by suicide upon discharge? Seriously. And that's mainly due to lack of emotional support when you get out of the psych ward and you don't know who to talk to. Your loved ones are... They live in a world with a stigma. They don't know better. They yeah. don't know what supportive statements to use, how to be validating, how to offer any kind of resources, support, or just love because they weren't taught. But that baffles me that, that you know, the hospital wouldn't work with their families outside of that and give them that information, even if it's just a leaflet. Because even not only that, they will need support themselves for having to support somebody with it's important that you have somebody to talk to and have that education so they must feel I don't know how to help my loved one you know and then that could have a knock-on effect but it's right it's the simple things that can be done that can prevent these things like teaching in schools and talking to family and support networks definitely that's that's a that's a really scary statistic that what we are using to treat these people is what is killing them essentially that's horrible it is and it breaks my heart because it's something that's so easy to correct it is not hard like you said to provide a leaflet to go home with for them to share with their loved ones if we provided some kind of maybe folder 
with information on what resources are available when you get out of here, what coping mechanisms worked for you while you were here, what are other ones you could try, maybe ones along the same lines, what, how to have a conversation with your loved ones about what you're feeling, yeah. how your loved ones can have a conversation with you. If we provided all these tools and resources, people would come out in a much better position. But this has prevented anyone from really taking the time to look at the problem and have a conversation. That's absolutely crazy and really sad, definitely. And it just highlights so much more why it's so important to talk about these things, to break down that stigma so that things can be done and we can work through and pass that, definitely. Exactly. And then the stigma also comes to judging people for symptoms that they're displaying. If they are depressed and they seem to be lazy or tired, we judge. I think sometimes that's really difficult to notice in yourself as well. So you might think, you know, I'm just a lazy person because I don't have any energy or motivation. I'm so lazy. You know, I struggled with that myself when I was struggling with depression. I just thought I was a lazy and built person. And that isn't the case, actually. I just felt so low. I had so many negative thoughts. I was tired that that acted as a barrier towards me doing anything. I wasn't a lazy person. I was just tired and over bogged down with my mental health. Other things like, oh, you know, I overthink everything. I'm a worrier. You've got, you know, that's a symptom of anxiety and you're labeling yourself these negative connotations of things. Whereas actually it's just a symptom and symptoms can be managed and improved even with self-help. So you're not lazy. You're not, you know, a, a worrier. You're not an overthinker. You're not oversensitive. It's just a symptom and symptoms can be worked and improved on. You just need to know how. And I think I always say to people that therapy itself is it's like being stuck in a maze. OK, you're in a maze of horrible mental health and you're, you're trying every every turn and hitting a dead end, trying to get out of this maze. Therapy is just giving you a map and holding your hand, taking you out of the maze self-help can get you quite a lot of the way there and actually sometimes self-help can be enough but why why wait until you are so far in the maze that it's built so much around you that it you know it's just going on for acres and acres when you could start to make your way through the maze and there's less of a journey to go It's just understanding that how, you know what you need to do, you just don't know how to do it. And sometimes when we're so wrapped up in our thoughts and they're everywhere and we're feeling tired, that can seem 10 times more of a task. Sometimes you just need somebody who's been through it to say, hey, this really, really helped me. You know, this is proven and helped loads of other people. It's X, Y, Z, here's the instructions, here's a bit of a map for you broken down and that can that can really really help people to make some progress okay again with the analogies <laughs> analogies yes, therapy is a guide like you said it's support but it's not the work you do the work and yeah. you can start the work before you see a therapist yeah 
when you see the symptoms, that doesn't mean something is wrong with you. And we, like you said, we take it and we label ourselves. And that again comes from that stigma of society and what they've taught us that if you're laying in bed because you can't get up because you were severely depressed, then you're lazy. Yeah. Then you don't care. Then you just want handouts instead of trying to provide you the support and resources that you need so that you can get up out of bed and move forward with your life in whichever direction you choose. Exactly. And I think that's half the battle as well. Because if you imagine thinking to yourself, God, I'm so lazy. I must be lazy. I just want an easy way in life. Your self-esteem is going to take even more of a hammering. And that low mood cycle is just going to keep on feeding and keep on going. Whereas if you can recognize that, okay, I'm, I'm feeling extra tired today. I don't really feel like doing anything but I know that that's a symptom and something that I can manage rather than saying I'm really lazy I don't care enough to do anything that inner dialogue is going to go a lot better we're not going to be feeding the cycle of low mood even more we're just taking a more objective view and stopping the cycle in its tracks and thinking what's in my toolbox that I can do to to help this And that's what self-help is. Self-help is giving you those tools in your toolbox to break that cycle. Exactly. And like you said, when we're labeling ourselves with all these negative words that make us feel bad, we're destroying our self-esteem. And when your self-esteem is destroyed, you are at higher risk for depression, for anxiety, for substance abuse. Yes. For relationships. There's so much that comes along with it. And if we don't, self-help if we don't help ourselves if we don't learn how to help ourselves it can be so devastating but like you said previously as well that a lot of people just don't know how to do it how to help themselves they know what they need to do but they don't know how where do I start so if somebody came to you and was experiencing anxiety or depression or symptoms of anxiety or depression what would you say is the first step that you would offer them The first step is knowing exactly, I guess, what it is that the symptoms are. If it's that they have a lack of motivation, it would be okay. Usually we get stuck in a lack of motivation because we're actually withdrawing from activity. We get tired. We think, I can't be bothered. I'm not going to be able to finish it anyway. Um, I just don't want to. And then we don't do it. Then we have an initial period of relief because we haven't done it. And that is what reinforces that cycle in the long term. Because in the short term, it works. It's effective. We're not, we don't have to do it anymore. We're we're like, okay, I'm in my comfort zone. But in the long term, we have those, I'm lazy. I don't feel good. You know, I, people going to think that I'm a letdown, all of those negative thoughts. And then the cycle feeds in and how I would say, breaking that cycle is you figure out just in a really quick way of of putting this you figure out what is missing in the balance of your life because actually activities are what make us feel good about ourselves whether it be okay I put I did the laundry today that's a really great feeling of achievement or you know I saw my friends that was really pleasurable or you know, I 
managed to do a lot of work today at work, did really well, things like that. But what happens is when we withdraw from them and start feeling bad about them, we build a negative association with them because we've been avoiding it. So we need to slowly introduce them back into our routine. And how we do that is by writing down what we need to implement, but doing it in a way that's completely broken down, looking at where our activities are at at the moment. So I would say, think about how active you are, because if you put too much into your diary at once and say, okay, right, brilliant, I'm going to feel a lot better. I'm going to do all of these things. If you're not used to it, activity level wise, you will burn out, you will boom and bust. So you'll do too much and then you'll be knackered and then the negative associations cemented, if if that makes sense. So what we want to do is do it very slowly, introduce, reintroduce activity very slowly, bit by bit, week by week in different areas. So whether it be a pleasurable activity, something for achievement, self-care activities are really important. And they're usually what goes away first when we're depressed. So it's about looking at activity and doing it in a way that's manageable, but also looking at our thoughts and recognizing that when we are feeling low, they can follow patterns that aren't healthy for us and learning how to challenge that and there's a lot on my page about how to do that there there are so many things but that that one is the most important I would say um, in terms of depression for anxiety there's lots of relaxation techniques because it can be very physical but also there is something called worry management lots of what if worries so hypothetical worries about the future tend to drive that anxiety cycle so learning how to manage those worries can be very very helpful that's the prevention and the treatment I guess would be once you have that anxiety response you can do the relaxation and breathing techniques to calm down those physical aspects of anxiety but you can learn to manage the thought processes as well does that make sense Yes, and this is so helpful because first of all, that list you said when you, you're like, I want to feel better and I'm going to put so much on my list and try to knock it yeah. all off and this is going to make me feel good. We're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of giving ourselves way too much to do because we think it's going to make us feel good. And when we cannot check off that many things off our list, we feel so bad and we just continue this cycle. And Definitely. that's normal to go through that cycle but you don't have to. You can make a list that works for you that's reasonable with what you're going through. And I love that you break down the activities by achievement, by, I forgot what the other one was. So it's routine, pleasurable, and routine, pleasurable, and necessary tasks. Those are the three tasks we need a balance of. In order, And if, if that goes off balance, that's when we start to slip. So if you're doing too much of one, if you, you know, you've got too much work on, we've got too much necessary and we're neglecting our pleasurable side, that's going to cause, if you think of it like a ship that's put into three categories, if you have one that's off level, your ship's going to sink. So you need to have a look at, maybe do a baseline diary of your activity and think, oh gosh, I'm doing a lot more of this than that. 
how can I level that out? Can I take some things away? Do I need to reintroduce some more things? And if I do, how can I do it in a way that's really helpful to me? So I would say, think what you need to reintroduce or things that you might even want to try um, and haven't ever done before even. But think about it in breaking into categories. So easy, medium, difficult, and then start with the easy column and just do one a week. And eventually your motivation levels will build up and your activity levels will build up. What people don't understand a lot of the time is that it's action before motivation. So once you start doing something, it's like training in the gym. You can train your motivation levels, but you have to lift the weights, but you have to start with the small weights and then build it up. It's the same with activity. It's the same with motivation. So if you go straight in for those, you know, really, really heavy weights, you're just not going to be able to do it. You'll probably hurt yourself. It's the same thing with activity and it's the same thing with motivation, really breaking it down and building it back up again. Exactly. I love that connection to the gym and motivation. Yeah. These analogies, I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of times people feel like they just have to be motivated. And why is everyone around me so motivated and so driven and so determined And why are they able to achieve all these things and I can't? So much pressure, isn't there? There's so much pressure. Um, And we just live in such a fast-paced society, even with, you know, COVID and everything that's gone on. It's it's pressure and it's compare and despair, isn't it? Everybody around us, we're thinking, why can't we be like that? And, you know, why can't I be like that person? Whereas, actually, we just need to focus on ourselves and what we can do to make ourselves happier because I think that when you work on your well-being first other things can follow ultimately the goal in life is to be happier right so have a good well-being because you can be rich you can have 500 businesses and be the most successful person in the world but if you're really miserable and don't know how to manage that well-being then what's the point It's about taking a step back and thinking, what are my priorities in life? What would what do I want to be? And alleviating that pressure a little bit and being compassionate with yourself. I think self-compassion is something that we're all guilty of, of lacking sometimes. You know, we're human, but it's something that we need to be conscious of. So when we catch ourselves being a bully to ourselves and saying, you know, why aren't you like this person or how 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 come you've not done this today you're lazy you're this when you catch that think about what would I say to my best friend would I say that to my best friend no so what can I what can I say that's different okay maybe that's a symptom what can I do with what's in my toolbox and it's it's the same sort of thing sometimes I literally speak to myself and I'm I'm there going it's all right babe everything's gonna be okay and I probably sound daft like if people could hear my thoughts out loud sometimes it just sounds like an angel and a devil sometimes but you need that angel there otherwise it's all devil and then and it wins you know exactly and something I always say is talk to yourself like you would talk to your friend so if your friend came to you and was saying I feel worthless I feel like I cannot compete and keep up with everyone around me 
I'm just so exhausted. What advice would you say? Would you look at your friend and be like, you're right, you're worthless. You're terrible. Exactly. You deserve to feel this way if this is your fault. Or would you say, you're not worthless. You don't deserve to feel this way. And yes, we all compare ourselves to each other, but you are not someone else. Yeah. You're, you're judging like your starting point based on someone else's halfway point. Exactly. It's all relative. Exactly. It is all relative. Definitely. I like that you're judging somebody's, you know, your starting point on somebody's halfway. You're absolutely right. And it's so important to recognize that every it is all relative. And there is something special about you that that person might not have, but they have their own special thing. We're all different and we all have the ability to do certain things, but just at different points. And when we're ready to, I think, definitely. Exactly. And a lot of times we're comparing ourselves to everyone else around us without realizing that other people are comparing themselves to us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We live it. It's, it's, it's our inner bully, isn't it? We don't allow ourselves to think that way. We, we have a negative bias in our thinking sometimes. And that's because our brain is, is literally trained to seek out threats rather than reward, I guess. So it's understandable to some degree, but the more we're conscious of that, the more we can shift that balance. Exactly. And it's so important that we shift that balance. So if someone came to you and said, I'm having all these negative thoughts and I don't know how to shift them, how would you recommend them going about that? I would say, have a think about how true they are. But first, they need to know what those negative thoughts are. So practicing that first because we don't usually sit back and look at our thoughts that could be a process in itself so just writing down I'm noticing that I'm having a negative thought what is that so writing that down and then thinking is this a negative thinking style so am I catastrophizing so going to the worst case scenario is this a negative filter so am I disregarding the positives and only focusing on the negatives lots of unhelpful thinking styles that our our thoughts can fall into then what I would encourage them to do is look at the facts of the situation not our opinions and look at the for and against factual evidence for that thought because what you would want to do is get a rational view of the situation you don't want to be overly positive you don't want to be overly negative. We want to have a rational view. Because if you think about it in the sense of crossing the road, if you were overly positive about crossing the road, you'd, you'd probably get run over. But if you were too negative about it, you'd never go anywhere near a road. So you need an in-between. You need to see what are the risks, but what are the things that have gone positively. So for an example, let's say I was doing a group class um teaching people relaxation okay let's say I was doing that and somebody yawned I might have a negative thought thinking oh my gosh I'm so boring you know that they're not gonna think I'm very good at this nobody's engaged evidence for that thought might be that somebody yes somebody yawned Evidence against that thought might be, well, I was doing a relaxation technique. Nobody said that 
they didn't engage lots of other people were looking for example and then I would think of a new more balanced thought which may look like I was teaching a relaxation class and somebody yawned that maybe because they were relaxed nobody else made any comments keeping to the facts of the situation rather than that negative pull that's that's trying to bring us down we're trying to rationalize what's going on with facts rather than that horrible inner voice does that make sense yes and that's so true identify the thoughts first and then where did they come from is it true a lot of times these are thoughts that we've kind of just started feeding ourselves and we never looked at and said well why do I feel like I'm not good enough is it true that I'm not athletic that I'm not funny that I'm not smart or is that something I just told myself because I'm so caught up in this this idea where I have to be the best I have to be perfect exactly a lot of the time because they're so automatic as well they just whiz around our heads we have thousands of thoughts every day so they're there and they're automatic in every given situation right And they affect the way we feel, whether we're conscious to them or not. So we might be thinking, you know, I'm not funny. I'm not athletic. I'm not worth anything. And that's impacting our emotions. And we're not even looking at that and thinking, actually, is that true? Or is this just something that's whizzing in my head and I'm just accepting as fact? And that's what it's it's about, learning to take a step back and looking at those thoughts and thinking, no, actually, I'm not going to accept that as a fact. It's, you know, I might not be good at this particular sport, but I'm amazing at running. Or I might not be good at sports at all, but I eat really healthily. So looking at the facts of a situation can stop you from being stuck in that quicksand of negativity, making sure that you can really look away and have a bit of an objective view on things. Exactly. It's all about listening to yourself. We live in this world where we're so focused on the past and all the things we did wrong and so scared of the future and what the unknown and what's to come and how do we prepare that we never live in the moment. Yeah. If we lived in the moment and we listened to ourselves and what we're thinking and what we're feeling, a lot of times we can catch those symptoms, those early warning signs and be able to start self-help or start treatment at a time that's actually helpful because it'll be preventative instead of waiting until it has consumed us and we don't know who we are. Exactly. And that's such a good point, being present and in the moment. Mindfulness, which is essentially the training of being present, that is really, really helpful. And the reason why that's helpful is not only because being in the moment and being present and appreciating the things around us because we take it for granted. And when we really look at things, we can be like, wow, actually that is incredible. So it gives us gratitude. But what it also gives us is training our attention to something other than what's going on in our mind. And when we can learn to refocus on the present moment, we're actually learning to focus our attention. Focus is a very important thing because the more you learn how to focus on something the more control you'll learn to have over your thoughts 
adults, but it all starts with something relative. So, you know, it's never going to be that you're not going to think of anything. You know, I have meditation sometimes be, you know, just practicing on focusing on my breathing, which again is, is a form of mindfulness because you're being present, you're focusing on something. My, my mind wonders to the shopping, it wonders to what happened, you know, yesterday at work, what might happen later. But every time it wonders, I just gradually and nicely bring it back without judgment. And it's just the practice of doing that. And it's just, again, like lifting those weights at the gym. It's the same thing. We're just practicing bringing it back. And that can really help. Exactly. It's so important that we take some time and pay attention to our minds, pay attention to where they're going, if they are drifting in one direction or the other, and we can help bring them back. I think a lot of times we feel our thoughts are out of our control. But like you said, as you pay attention to them, you can learn how to control them. You can learn how to take a thought that is normally just thrown around your body, thrown through your mind, that's so negative and damaging and be like, wait, where did that thought come from? What is that thought? That's actually not true. I just made that up. Exactly. Exactly. But the first step is being aware of them in the first place, right? And knowing that your thought isn't you. So the sooner you know that what I think doesn't make it fact, the the sooner you can not let it affect you as much as well because if if I had a thought oh I'm lazy and I thought well because I think I'm lazy I must be lazy it's not true that's why we need to look at the facts of the situation and weigh that up exactly everything you think is not true and one way to kind of play on that at least it works for me is when I feel like I'm doing nothing I'm laying in bed I'm just sulking and feeling bad and just that I'm doing nothing like wait actually my heart is beating and pumping blood throughout my body my lungs are taking in air and taking it out exhaling and my legs are moving my brain is sending messages to my body to move my hand there's so much going on I'm not doing nothing we are never doing nothing our body constantly at work it is it is and it's actually so amazing the fact that we you know all that goes on and we're just you know our spirit is just there while our body is doing all of that work so again yeah even when we're doing nothing we're doing a a hell of a lot exactly so if someone wanted to connect with you I know you have the at the self-help coach Instagram page is there any other way they can connect with you can they dm yeah, people can send me DMs. That's absolutely fine. Um, I can't give too much advice. I can send you free resources. Um, but DM advice, sometimes it can be tricky because you don't want to replace therapy. If you're in therapy, then they can manage things such as risk in terms of suicidal thoughts. Whereas if you're giving that advice outside of a therapy session, outside of a resource that can be a little bit tricky sometimes but I would always you know talk to people I love connecting with people I would never ignore somebody it would just be about saying sorry about your problem here's a really good resource that you can read and it will help you or refer to x 
extra post if that makes sense but I am actually a mental health coach as well so if you did want to book in some sessions with myself that will be coming available very soon that is amazing and I love that you offer resources a lot of people offer advice in the dms or just some support and validation but having actual tangible resources is so important because you don't always know where to start exactly resources I'm just definitely so thankful for the work you do and so thankful that you joined me today you are absolutely amazing thank you and thank you for inviting me I think you're very amazing as well so that's brilliant